yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Times are uncertain, but your job doesn't have to be. Fidelity Investments is hiring for tech roles in Ireland. Apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie. Hello and you're very welcome to the Big Tech Show podcast with me, Adrian Wecker, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And this week, I'm delighted to say that we have the Chief Information Officer of Zoom, who is Irish, Harry Mosley. Welcome. Well, thank you, Adrian. And nice to be here and um, great to meet you. Harry, we're going to talk a little bit about how you got to where you got to, uh, your background. Um, first on Zoom itself, I mean, what a ride. Did you ever think that the company that you were CIO of a couple of months ago is now was now would now be a household name. Uh, I, I think it's taken a lot of people by surprise, including yours sincerely. So some somebody asked me uh, recently, Harry, it's like you know, five years from now, when you meet some stranger and they figure and they find out you worked at Zoom and you were there during this um, uh, global health crisis, how would you you know? And they asked you what what was your experience like? How would you respond? So the way I would respond, Adrian, is as follows. Uh, you know, I joined this small tech startup a little over two years ago called San Jose, 800 people, uh, well-known, reasonably well-known in the tech industry, kind of well-known in North America, sort of known in Europe, not very well-known in Asia. And then you fast forward now to, you know, sort of uh, a little over two years later, we're you know, close to 3,000 people in 18 offices that are all closed, 17 data centers around the world that are you know, supporting every industry imaginable, um, uh, government organizations like the British Parliament, um, uh, educational institutions of all sorts, uh, K through 12, 100,000 K through 12 schools, in 25 countries. And uh, my wife plays cards on it on Wednesday night. People are having dinner parties on Saturday night, church services on Sunday, weddings, bar mitzvahs, you name it, it's happening on Zoom. Uh, it's uh, the way I would characterize it from a personal perspective, it's extraordinarily humbling to be able to support the economy, countries, and education. I mean, from 10 million to 300 million users in oh, the there. space of a da few months. It's not users, daily participants. Daily participants, that's right. Um, but even still, I mean, overtaking Skype, overtaking a lot of the big beasts. Um, it's a, as I said, it's a household name. People, the Taoiseach in Ireland will talk about FaceTiming somebody or Zooming somebody. I'll Zoom you later. <laughs> let's do uh, yeah let's zoom tales on sunday and the the interesting thing from your perspective is you were actually retiring in 2017 2018 when this came about that is true i uh i did i retired i think it was uh monday december the 11th 2017 i um people say why did you retire it's because i've been very fortunate i worked for some Great companies, we work with great people, and um, having worked for uh, 40 plus years, I graduated Trinity in 77. Um, 
I just wanted to take some time and not have to wake up to a daily agenda and emails and follow-ups and to-dos. I just wanted to do whatever I wanted. So it's kind of like that's why I retired. And um, and uh, four days later, the sort of the doorbell rang and uh, Zoom came knocking and a couple of people there had worked with me previously in the previous transaction. And, um, and uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, it was very, you know, that was another humbling moment when they asked me to be their global CIO. And it's, um, I, uh, we went through the conversation and I thought this could be a fun ride. And I, you know, you know, people say, why'd you do it? And it's like, I did it because, look, the fact is that there are a bunch of different technologies out there for collaborating and connecting and communicating locally, nationally and globally. And to say they don't work is a lie. They do work. They just don't work very well. And uh, when I uh, looked under the covers of the architecture of Zoom and met Eric Yuan, our CEO and founder, and um, uh, spoke to industry experts uh, who spent their entire lives in the UCAS space, uh, it became very apparent that this was going to be a company and a technology that was um, going to change how people connected change how people communicate, change how people collaborate. And uh, I'm super glad I did it because it's been a hell of a ride and an awful lot of fun. You've spoken a little bit about before. Did the Zoom bombing and the hacking thing, did that smart at all? Did that hurt? Well, first of all, you know, sort of we don't condone that sort of behavior and uh, find it rather um, upsetting uh, at our core that people would behave like that. Uh, those sorts of meeting disruptions can happen on any platform. They're not um, not only ours; it can happen on any communications platform. It, you know, how many times have you been on conference calls and suddenly there's a ding? Someone's joined the conference call and you ask who's there. Uh, so you know, uh, we're, we've taken a lot of actions to prevent that now on a go forward basis. Uh, some of those actions um, are setting up the defaults of how meetings are uh, set up to begin with, with things like the use of the waiting room feature, things like the use of um, passwords and uh, things of that nature. And, you know, the, the, going back to the other point, Adrian, when you go from 10 million daily participants in December to 300 million daily participants in April, and the different constituents that were sort of latching onto the platform. There's a, a fundamental here, which is, is that you know, Zoom was built for the enterprise. It was built for uh, tech, you know, for organizations and industries of all sorts, um, with great IT organizations who would review the platform, deploy the platform, train people, set up the defaults, etc. But with the onslaught of, you know, sort of the, quote, consumer world, um, everybody became their own technician, and they just licensed Zoom, started using Zoom, didn't understand what controls to use, and had to set up their defaults and things of that nature. And so part of the work that we've done over the last, um, call it uh, 52 days, because we're in our 90-day period of uh, pivot, uh, on security and privacy was to change the default settings for a variety of different constituents. So as an example, teachers. When the teacher set up the classroom in the past, everybody could share, everybody could rename themselves, everybody could chat. Well, you know, sort of if you have a, you know, a class of, you know, 11-year-olds, uh, the idea of changing my name from little Johnny to be Mickey Mouse, that's kind of like cool, right? That's kind of like fun, makes all my classmates laugh. Well, that's disrupting. Uh, you know, our little Susie sees, oh, I can share photos. Let me share a photo of my new puppy. Kind of cool, but disruptive. Um, and then they can start chatting to each other in the middle of class. Disruptive. So the default now for education, as an example, is that the host can share, the host can chat, and the host can rename but none of the participants can unless the host grants those permissions. So um, we've made a bunch of changes like that and are continuing to make changes like that. And do you think you're on track for the end of the, those 90 days to, to have everything done? 
Well, 90, 90 days was a, a an accelerated effort. So think about it. What, what I'd like you to think about is the following. Going from 10 million daily participants to 300 million daily participants, most companies would like to do that over the course of, call it two years. We did it over the course of 12 weeks. So now we have to play rapid catch-up, which we would have done anyway, to sort of uh, supporting those different constituents that we have. So this is part of a journey. We'll get back to our traditional journey going forward, but we're also uh, going to, uh, you know, Zoom is known for ease of use and uh, reliability um, and cost effectiveness. And what we have decided as a company is that we're going to set an entirely new standard around security and privacy. And so we're going to be known as the best platform from a security and privacy perspective, in addition to being cost effective, in addition to reliability, and in addition to ease of use and innovative. Some of the technically literate uh, listeners that I have or viewers to this podcast would be fascinated to hear your thoughts about what it's like to go from a company with 10 million daily participants to 300 and whatever else, the, whatever the new figure uh, will be. From your perspective, you were in the middle of two dozen um, significant challenges, uh, surely, uh, by default, or does kind of the availability of very substantial uh, third-party cloud facilities, for example, does that make that easier? Like how, I, I can well imagine your job being a kind of a 12, 14, 18 hour a day one. Yeah, my job's always been a 12, 14, 18 hour a day. <laughs> so that's why, I, that's, why I, that's why I retired in December because I was exhausted of, of doing that for 40 odd years. Um, but, it, you know, my attitude uh, on that is that, you know, sort of uh, it doesn't feel like work when you're having fun. And as I'm having fun, um, it doesn't feel can, like work. So, can it all be fun? By and large, absolutely. Do you have fun? I mean, I love my job. I mean, I'm enjoying, I mean, I love this part of it in particular. Um, you know, meeting interesting people, talking to them, trying to get a sense of where they're coming from and what their stories are. But there are a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that is a little bit of a drag. Maybe it's just a, a question of perspective. My advice to everybody, and this is friends, family, uh, um, uh, people I work with, etc., is there's always two parts to the job. There's the part you like and the part you don't like. And as long as the part you like is consistently greater than the part you don't like, then you're ahead of the game. But if it flips the other way, it's time to pack up and leave. Because you shouldn't do a job that you don't like. You shouldn't do work for an organization you don't respect. You shouldn't work with people that you don't, that you, you know, it's causing you sort of like, you know, what I could call sort of acid in the stomach type of thing. You know, if, you, if it's hard to get out of bed to go to work. Now, I know that everybody has those privileges. So, you know, some people, you know, sort of, they have to, just tolerate it. Um, but I think that fundamentally, I believe that uh, if, if the part you don't like is greater than the part that you do like, you're not going to do it very well. In your role, though, when you wake up in the morning and there are a hundred global newspapers and TV stations monitoring your every move, uh, good and bad, does that not increase the amount of acid in your stomach? Well, you know, I've been doing this a long time, man. It's uh, you know, at uh, you know, and I've uh, I've learned lots of things from lots of great people. Uh, the one of the things I learned from, uh, funnily enough, a, a, a former Irish, another Irish guy, who, a former boss of mine. Uh, he said the number one thing to do is you never panic. Just don't panic. Whatever it is, you can't panic, because the minute you panic. The brain is not fully engaged and you're going to make wrong decisions and you'll make the wrong calls. Take a deep breath. You know, headlines are headlines. Mm. These things too come to pass. It's kind of like, you know, it's uh, also, you know, sort of, and that, and that applies, by the way, not just in your professional life, in your personal life too. Mm. You got to take a deep breath, 
let's assess the situation. We have a, a culture at Zoom uh, that we use uh, as a philosophy uh, part of our philosophical part of our culture, which is, you know, what's the problem? Can you define the problem? Because if you can't define the problem, then you have no chance of identifying the root cause. Once you've identified the root cause, then you can work on the solution. Many times people are too quick to sort of come up with the solution when they haven't identified the problem, the root cause, and therefore the solution. So, um, so you know, the headlines, you know, they're, look, they're, they're, they're very upsetting. Um, and I think many times, many of those headlines get regurgitated. And, uh, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, I remember, you know, sort of um, uh, talking to the chief information security officer for one of our global clients. And I said to her, I called her about your know, unrelated topic. And uh, I, I said to her, it's like, you know, um, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, I said, I'm surprised you didn't call me uh, with all the headlines going around. They said, why should I call you? And I said, because of all the ugly headlines. And uh, she goes, yeah, Harry, they're headlines. But you've got to read below the headlines. And when I read below the headlines, and I know how we deployed Zoom in my enterprise, I realized I had nothing to worry about. And so when my CEO called me, when my CFO called me, when the chairman of the board called me and said, why are we still using Zoom? I said, because... What did you read? Did you read the headline? Yeah, you read the headline. Did you read the detail? Do you understand how we've deployed Zoom? Because we deployed it with all of the controls that Zoom has published, and therefore these issues um, are um, uh, not, uh, not, not affecting the way we operate. Since the company started to address those issues and implement all of those measures that you were talking about, have you noticed... Um, a, a significant decrease in the number of notifications or, or, or notice that you get negative notifications on a security basis? Yeah, I think the sentiment is changing and, um, you know, we're uh, definitely on a different uh, trajectory. Um, but we're doing what we've always done, Adrian. And, uh, you know, sort of, and right now, quite honestly, you know, sort of uh, the, the, you know, sort of, Internally, yes, we're very focused on you know security and privacy, but uh, the sort of the fundamental of the company is how can we help enterprises continue business operations? How can we help governments maintain their their functions? And how can we continue to educate the world's population? Those are the three things we think about all the time, and uh, and we will continue to do so until this pandemic gets behind us all. You grew up in Rathfarnham in uh, South County, Dublin, um, and you also graduated from Trinity College, as you said. I think it was engineering, maths, and computer science, uh, I believe. Um, Great. What was Dublin like? Because you left very soon after that. What was Dublin like at that time for you? Yeah. Uh, well, Dublin is, you know, sort of uh, lots of things about Dublin. Um, really enjoyed my youth, really enjoyed growing up in Dublin. Uh, I got, had a fantastic education between Rathgar National, the high school, and Trinity. Um, uh, you know, and I was privileged to have attended those great uh, educational uh, institutions and privileged to have wonderful teachers and professors. Um, Were you a posh kid? Was like, am I what? Were you a posh kid? I don't know what a posh kid is, but, uh, you know, the only thing I do remember is, uh, you know, I, I, uh, uh, lectures started at 9 a.m. in the morning, usually went to sort of mid to late afternoon, uh, and then it was the library until 10 o'clock and then the sports bar at Trinity. Um, but then I get home and then my dad would have left a, sort of a to-do list on the pillow because he, and then I'd had to, I worked on Saturdays, and uh, sometimes I had to work on Saturday nights. And so, I yes, I, I would say I had a very privileged uh, uh, youth um, um, as a you know growing up. Um, Did your dad and, have a uh, furniture company? Was it? it uh, initially, he was making beds, and then he was then he was selling furniture. Yeah, oh, and okay. um, 
and uh yeah so but it's like you know it was uh yeah he taught me what work was all about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is you know sort of part of my dna today it's kind of you know that's why 12 14 16 hours doesn't really bother me if i have to work all night then i work all night so yeah um have you seen the program normal people have you heard about this this irish no, no. okay the norty uh, show it's partly set in trinity apparently it's a big hit all over the world and but it, it casts trinity college actually in a very interesting light because it's set a, i think it's set around that time it's, it's certainly set um uh, uh be before the present day um but in your time there did you did you ever feel because dublin today is it's actually quite a it's quite a nice place, but it's also quite a wealthy place now. I mean, it's it's come on an awful lot. My recollection, such that I have of Dublin in the eighties, it was very different. I mean, it was um, we we were quite poor, you know. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I do visit Dublin. Like I, I used to visit Dublin probably like three three or four times a year when my mother was alive. She died several years back, so. Um, but you know, my wife and I are actually back in Ireland uh, in February this year. We um, spent a long weekend in Dublin and uh, then spent uh, a few days down the country. And uh, you know, Dublin's come a long way, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's very pleasant to visit. Um, nice to walk around. People are friendly. Uh, it's lovely going down. Going, it's lovely. You know, it's like there's. In the U.S., they say, you know, so you got New York and then you have America. And they're two different places. It's like, you know, you've got Dublin and then you've got Ireland. <laughs> and they're two different places. And uh, we, had a, we had a really nice time when we were visiting, uh, when we visited Dublin, always. And, um, and going down the country was very cool. And what else do you remember about your childhood? I mean, was there anything, uh, were, were, you, were you a religious family? Were, was, was, were you strict? Uh, well, we were kosher at home, and um, and we used to uh, observe all the Jewish holidays. And my father and I would go to synagogue on Saturday morning fairly regularly. Uh, sometimes my sister would come with. Uh, my mother would only go on the high holidays, or if there was a an event going on, like a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something. Um, and uh, uh, so it was, uh, and it was, you know, I had a lot of fun. And we had a you know, great circle of friends um, and uh, Paul, you know, sort of uh, when I look at my kids today and some of the things that they get up to, it's, uh, I have, I have an idea of what I put my parents through. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's just leave it there. <laughs> you, you've three kids, uh, right? I do. Yeah. yeah. And I think just one of them live in Switzerland. One lives in, uh, my eldest son lives in Switzerland. My daughter lives in Baltimore. More and my youngest son lives in Monterey, California. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, look, be before uh, I leave you, I, I, the last point I wanted to raise with you was about Zoom. Zoom is a famously distributed company. I mean, I was reading that uh, Eric, for example, spent a long time, he hadn't even left, would rarely leave his house, wouldn't get on a plane, would do most of the company business. He, he, he would eat the dog food. He would literally uh, do it uh, online uh, and video conference. That's very much in the headlines at the moment. Um, we saw recently, for example, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg talk about the possibility of that company's, up to half of that company's employees being remote in five to 10 years. Do you think there's a major shift afoot there? Absolutely. And uh, not just because of what we do, but you know, over the last uh, 10, 12 weeks, I don't know how many hundreds of executives I've spoken to in how many different industries and companies and geographies, but the, the underlying theme is the following, Adrian, is that um, employees have now figured out how to work from home. Companies have now figured out how their employees can work from home. Um, uh, productivity uh, for a lot of people in the work from home is up significantly uh, over the working in the office. Um, not because of longer hours, but because they're not having the constant disruptions that they get in the office. They're not, you know, it's like the water cooler conversations are kind of like cool and interesting, but they really don't help from a productivity perspective that much. Um, people are, you know, when they're working from home, they're able to start a job and get the job done. They have much more discipline about their day. 
and uh, they, you know, they, uh, they uh, don't miss the daily grind of the commute, whether it's driving or taking mass transit. Um, and, uh, you know, when uh, they'd love their kids to be back in school, of course, that would make life much easier. And uh, they will be. Uh, and, uh, and employers are seeing that this is now a very, uh, a very effective model for people to work. Um, going to have social distancing in the office anyway, so they can't have the same population of people that they had before. Um, they're going to have, I think, on average, what I've heard is you know, sort of around about one-third of the population of people in the office than what they've had before corona. That means two-thirds won't be there. Um, but there's lots of logistics involved in the, in the office environment, too. They're going to have bigger workspaces. They're putting up plexiglass, putting up one-way aisles. You know, uh, what are they going to do about copiers? The coffee machines are permanently shut down. Uh, so the, the, uh, the, the work environment, the corporate office, is going to get a, become a very antiseptic place and not going to be the buzz that it had before. Now, that, that may change and come back, uh, but many organizations are, like you just said, um, uh, changing their lens and, change, and pivoting to a different work environment in the future. Mm. Um, and the other, you know, one of the other, uh, other big lessons that people have learned is like, I don't need to recruit locally. I can recruit nationally. I can recruit globally. I can find the best athlete for the role. Uh, and it doesn't have to be in my hometown. Yeah, I, th I think that's what Zuckerberg was talking about. He was making the distinction between remote working and flexible working. I mean, Facebook has almost 5,000 people here in Dublin, but the ones who are working at home, that's part of a flexible working program. Whereas what he's talking about in the US is if you live in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, you can apply for a job and work in that job and not be attached to any one office. Work from your home in Lincoln, uh, Nebraska. Yeah. So if you take, you know, and I think a lot of people, quite honestly, have been evaluating their personal and professional lives, including yours sincerely. You know, uh, prior, you know, prior to being grounded on March the first, I would be on three or four planes a week. I wouldn't think about getting up at four a.m. in the morning, take a six a.m. flight to, you know, down to Washington or whatever, and. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I don't know when I'll get on a plane next, but uh, from a professional perspective, if I do three or four flights a month in the future, that will be a lot. So do you think that even when this subsides, because it will in time, there will be a vaccine or, or we will come to there an accommodation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we will come to an accommodation. But do you think that even when that happens, that... There's enough of a period now, 12, 18 months for us to test out these systems that you, you, you don't see yourself, for example, flying again, you know, um, uh, as often, for example. No, no, this is, this is my, this is kind of like a big part of my, 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 my new normal will not be dramatically different from what I've done over the last 12 weeks. It's, it's very interesting. One of the questions that Zuckerberg was asked, I think it was by Casey Newton in The Verge, he was asked about the issue of serendipity and culture and, and company culture and bumping into somebody in the elevator, for example, and that kind of coalescing over ideas and energy. And he didn't have a, he didn't have a specific answer. He said that, that is one of the big open questions that they will have to, to look at over the next few years. Um, and it has struck that has struck me uh, uh, also since we have been at home. I like the routine. It's uh, there's a lot of pleasant things about it. There is an energy that I do miss about the office, about being able to riff off people. That it's not exactly um, replicated uh, over Zoom, which is mostly what we use. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for using Zoom. Well, uh, we're on Zoom right now, and it and it hasn't gone down once, and and it's it's been fantastic. Well, it uh, you know we, we we are very proud of our reliability. Um, but uh, uh, going back to that uh, the culture topic, uh, the culture topic is a sticky one, and you know it's um, replicating that collaborative open office environment in a virtual world. Uh, as as I like to say, you know, sort of uh, watch this watch the space. Why? Because you know uh, the. 
the ability to innovate at speed and scale, the ability for people to think out of the box is um, is at a pace that's uh, you know unprecedented. And I think that sort of that now that work from home is going to be such a big part of our planet that we'll see some very innovative ways for people to emulate that open office collaborative environment in the work from home model. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that we'll see uh, lots of great things happening in this, in the, in this, in this space. Yeah. Before I leave you, could I ask for, could I ask, I have one product request. Sure. Just one uh, right you now. Ask anything you, like. you can have two <laughs> right now as we're talking you might notice, um, and viewers, you might notice that uh, if I kind of shift my head like that, it'll go out and it'll, it'll come back into focus now. And that's because I've jerry-rigged a Canon camera through to the laptop with the addition of a 200 euro piece of software that I had to buy to do that. Is there any chance that um, uh, Zoom, uh, that a future uh, edition of Zoom, uh, the next upgrade, could include support for, for cameras so that everybody can get this F two A glory. Uh, um, I will uh, be talking to our chief product officer later this morning, and I'll, uh, I'll mention to him. And that was me talking to Harry Mosley from Zoom. Now, following on from what we were talking about in relation to remote working, uh, our next guest is going to go a little bit more in depth uh, into this topic. We had said that Facebook and Twitter had said that their employees were going to be working from home either in great part or forever. Now, Vanessa Tierney is chief executive and co-founder of Abodu, which is a talent matching platform which specializes in remote and flexible working. Vanessa, you're welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Now, Vanessa, now that these big tech giants have announced this, Facebook, up to half of all its of its staff over the next 10 years working remotely, Twitter says you can uh, work remotely forever. Now that these companies have said this, do you think that other companies and organizations are going to follow? I do. Um, I think that this is a very strange time for a lot of companies and um, it does feel like a campaign where more and more big brands are going to make this announcement. And the reason behind it, when you think about it logically, the great people that they have working are working from home and when you experience that the idea of having to go back into a 10-hour commute each week mm. uh, it's not that appealing and yeah. um I, I think the large companies are looking fortunate they've got the hr infrastructure to be able to say look let's put policy around this let's put training around it let's do it right it's probably the smes that are going to struggle a little bit in the interim and perhaps think that when we're post-covid 19 we can reopen offices but to embrace change and to hold on to your best people and actually to access talent anywhere, not just in your county or your country, anywhere. Mm. Uh, it's a good idea to embrace this. And it doesn't have to be all the time. It can be part time. But I see this will be across the north. Like this will be the new way of working a percentage of the time. Let's talk for a few minutes about the, the practicalities of doing that. Do you have an ideal setup, an idealized setup that you would imagine if you were advising somebody, which is perfect for working from home, either from a spatial point of view or a tech point of view or any other point of view? Yes, because uh, I've done it for 10 years and I think that it's a learning and I, I, I'm hoping that um, people can kind of fast track this uh, in, in terms of what's the best way to do it um, because there's a lot of people out there with experience now and we're all sharing it online. For me, being quite social, I struggled initially with being remote and it was only after few months that I realized the importance of having that social interaction outside of the home but make it on time or online as well um, I think that fitness plays such a huge part and I'm not a fitness freak and um, but I'm definitely fitter than I was before I used to drive into Dublin from Bray every day and you just didn't have the capacity to fit in anything else um, and I, I think as well that people need to look at the whole cycle of remote working and see is 100% remote for them it can appear very attractive first but fast track six months nine months down the line and you haven't seen anyone if that's for you wonderful it does suit some people but ultimately I've talked about this phrase of like smart working and I think companies that nail it will work out what works for our business model is it three days a week four days a week one day a week, whatever do we leverage regional co-working spaces or digi hubs mm. or do we have to still be in the city these conversations should happen and then it should be communicated to the team 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you about actually all of those uh, things that you bring up. For example, it does strike me, I live in a, a new build house. We moved in a couple of years ago. It's in an estate. It's grand. It's got, it's three or four bedrooms. So we, myself, and my wife both have a spare room uh, to work in. That's where I'm doing this podcast uh, right now. Um, a friend of mine, um, same age as me, uh, just had a new baby, his second. They're living in a two bed apartment. Now he does manage to get out to he has a small office um but is this when we talk about remote working it does strike me that there is a big difference between people who have a spare room a shed a back garden um somewhere to go and someone who's packed into an apartment oh my heart goes out to them especially if you look at the high-rise apartments in in london um, and we've actually had a lot of people register from those spaces. Um, I, you know, I have a six month old baby and I know exactly the pain of what it's like. This is not remote working, by the way, <laughs> remote working and school working or teaching. It's not, this is not the way it is normally. Um, and so I think that what tends to happen for people after a, a year or two of, of remote working or smart working is you start realizing it took, it took my husband and I four years to realize we don't need to live in a built-up area anymore. Um, and then all of a sudden you're taking what your budget would be in a built-up area, which might give you a one, two-bedroom, three-bedroom house. And you're looking at regional areas thinking, my goodness. Now, the challenge five, six years ago was connectivity was really poor. But it's been rolled out now. And even if you target a region that doesn't have great connectivity, they'll probably have a co-working space or a DigiHub. Enterprise Ireland yeah, is backing they- a lot of them. So. This choice is great for people post this crisis, really. Yeah, now, now there, there is a small fly in that ointment when Mark Zuckerberg was making an, his announcement about yeah. up to half of Facebook staff being remote. Now, not flexible, but remote. You apply for the job uh, and you're not attached to any one office. You are working from home or wherever you want the whole time. He also mentioned that you would be paid according to the cost of where you live. So if you thought that you could just, you know, f- flit yeah. off down to the Midlands or somewhere and get a house for half the price. You can, but you just won't be paid as much. I don't agree with that. And uh, and I, I was vocal, I got interviewed by the street last week. I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. And I think it is discriminatory to a certain degree. Um, but they're going to do it. I mean, what, whether we <laughs> think would. it's right or wrong. And if they do it, because part of the context for us talking today is these big tech companies, they often set the HR and working relations agendas. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that over 15 years covering them uh, here in Dublin. Uh, now, the fact that they are talking up this idea of a permanent remote future, you know, even after the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, mm. and with some of these conditions attached, suggests that it may become a standard, you know? including the pay it it could but what i would say is this a, a mental shift happens for a worker and i'm not just speaking by, for myself here i'm speaking with like the community that i've got to, to befriend over the last number of years something happens to you when you go remote for the first six 12 months and you start to place value on other things so like the what? freedom having your time back being able to collect one of your children if you get a call from the school and they're sick. Um, the monetary aspect does not become as important and the you do save money. Thing. Yeah. How, having well, said that, though, I think the big companies will lose talent if small companies start embracing and saying, actually, no, no, we'll pay you what you're worth. It doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be a redistribution that happens um, if they do go down that route of monopolizing, you know, how people are paid based on where they are. Mm. Well, uh, a related point that has occurred to me, because we've all had time to think about this. I'm working at home, as I've said. Yeah. I don't think there's much prospect of me going back to the office for the next six to eight weeks anyway. Um, I, it's possible some of us will be out for the rest of the year. I spoke to lots of people who say they're not going back till 2021, not in my company, but but in other companies. But in thinking about it, one thing that you said there struck a chord in terms of the realization that you may not have to live in a big city or a built up place. 
and the freedoms that you have associated with that. And yet, when I think of, say, younger people, for example, who go to work for these tech companies or other, other companies, many of them actually deliberately go out of their way to get to a city, to get to a built-up area, because what they want is not a more sedate, quieter life. They want the louder, buzzier, um, more exciting life where they're literally in with lots of other people so they can meet them. It's not just for uh, for uh, for getting jobs in, in, in different companies. It's literally to meet other people and be alongside other people. So I, I'm kind of wondering, is that factor, to, have you ever come across that as a factor in relation to what the interest is in, in in a Bodu's platform, for example, in yeah. terms of remote working. It's such a good point because we've all been in our 20s and I wanted to be in the city in my 20s. I didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, and it was actually only, you know, falling into relationship and then children that you think, I don't really need to be here anymore. or I don't have the stamina for it. Um, uh, I think that's that mix is important for people that are younger. I think it's reflective as well in people who are registering in Abodu. We're seeing sort of people with three to 10 years experience, which would indicate they're sort of late 20s into the 30s. And uh, we'd love to actually capture older generations, so people that aren't quite ready for retirement as well, because highly skilled workers. Uh, it's a challenging time for young people right now. And I don't think uh, 100% remote is necessarily the right thing for them because the social interaction is huge. It's how you meet your life partner. And so companies need to really think outside the box on that. And it goes back to well, what is the model for the different generations or the different job types within a company? And ultimately, like what we do at Abodu is we, we do remote working, but we get together. We have a DigiHub. That's our base if we need to get together. And that just works for us. I think companies need to really work out what's the model for them. Mm. What do you think is going to happen to cities? Like we will eventually get over this particular pandemic. Mm. It may be that the vision that the tech companies are now putting out about a, a, you know, a much larger chunk of us working remotely comes to pass, even if it's not. Let's say it's 20%. And let's say if that's reflected across a lot of big organizations, that would in theory mean 20% less people in some of the more congested uh, parts of take Dublin, for example, does that mean a collapse in uh, restaurants, cafes, other service uh, industries? There, well, I'm I'm trying to. I don't know. I'm wondering. It's too, yeah, yeah. There's two sides of the coin, isn't there? Yeah, there will be a, a reduced demand if if there's twenty percent out of the city. But then you know there are rural, regional towns that are probably going like this. Yes. Yeah. Give us the business because obviously, like we're doing a, a brilliant initiative for Cork County where we're mapping the skills of, of people living in Cork County that want to stay there, have an international career there, but also people who want to come home that are abroad. That with this pandemic, they're really rethinking things and they're thinking, if I can have that career, I'd love to go back to Cork. And as part of that, we, we've identified the fact that if we can reverse migration locally, nationally, or internationally, that's going to lead into regional regeneration. So, uh, you know, I think in the UK, they're calling it um, rebalancing, uh, the rebalance of the UK out of London, out of Manchester, out of Birmingham. And I think that that's what's going to happen. Mm. And, and, you know, for the cities, if there is a drop, wouldn't it be lovely if there were more pedestrianised areas? Best oh, views, I mean, there, you know? there are lots of upsides and downsides, no doubt. I And uh, yeah. like um, me, I'm sure you've, heard about a lot of the upsides as well pedestrianization more cyclists i mean i was walking down the street yesterday in fairview near where i live and the traffic for some reason was pretty much back to about 60 70 80 percent of what it was there was a traffic jam my heart just sank and i tweeted a, a short video of it and the amount of comments and kind of glum face emoji that i got uh, in response and, and that i'm not looking forward to that but i i, I guess if we're entering into a remote working era, there are definitely going to be societal effects on the downside as well. I mean, I mentioned the generation thing. I mean, do cities now just just become somewhere for young people and service workers? I think it wouldn't it be wonderful if they were the place as well, though, that they had they created corporate community so when you're going to the city, you're connecting with other people, whether it's for work. Uh, new connections 
uh, Grow Remote are doing a great um, work in terms of connecting remote workers locally and that that's all important. Yeah. I, I was worried that with this pandemic, people would have an awful experience of remote and, uh, you know, companies had no time to plan for this. Mm. Um, and really, I think that the smart companies will be thinking, okay, this should be, do you remember before it was like contingency planning 101 was have a second site so you can turn this off and turn that on. Now it should actually be, if something happens, we need to be able to turn remote on really quickly. Just invest in it, invest in training your leaders and people. And it can be amazing. Mm. Like, you mentioned Zoom. They do a phenomenal job. Lots of people work remote for them. There's companies out there 100% remote and they're doing phenomenally well. It is possible, but it's all about the mindset of the leader and their capabilities. Yeah, one of the things I was asking Harry Mosley there from Zoom uh, before uh, you and I uh, were talking now was about the culture element of um, the bumping into somebody in the elevator or to the Americans say the water cooler to the serendipitous meeting of ideas where a lot of energy comes from um a lot of ideas come from and he didn't really have a clear answer for that in fairness neither did zuckerberg it was the one he did a long interview with um uh, the verge with casey newton the verge and it was he was quite thoughtful about it he said look that is something that i i don't know how we're going to square that because company culture if you've been working in a company for 15 or 20 years you pretty much know what the culture is. You know what you have to do. All, But if somebody, like the graduates that are coming in, for example, this is, especially if they're coming in from college, this is a really big step. They're not used to how things are done. And there's a certain energy and X factor that happens completely outside what the the job spec says. Um, so I'm going to be fascinated yeah. to see how that works out as well. Yeah, and this is where companies need to up their game so much like a lot of companies are just actually their onboarding programs they were maybe starting to digitalize mm. even big brands in Dublin were telling me in the last six months but it was very early days and I am um, I'm, I'm co-writing a book at the moment with this amazing lady I met uh, online at a networking event and she's based in South America and we, we've covered this su subject of like how to create a culture her background is gig working and gig leadership and I'm coming from the employee and we came to the conclusion that culture can be created remotely, but you just have to work harder mm. and you have to include everybody. And it needs to be really transparent, but nothing takes away from the face to face. And I haven't met my co-author, which is a bit strange, but, and I hope to one day, because maybe it's the Irish in me. I just love to shake a hand or, you know, have a drink or whatever it might be. But if this is the way the work is going to be for the next year, then we need to do our best to embrace grads coming in. And um, and then the graduates, 75% of them want more flexibility. They probably were not expecting 100%, but, you know, they're, they're probably more ready than any generation. Mm. Yeah, well, they certainly are now after the the, the last eight weeks. Before I let you go, um, a little bit about Abodu. You have 25,000, is that right? Remote, flexible working members, is that right? Yeah, we'll be we're tipping thirty thousand soon because of the work that we're doing with Cork County okay. uh, across sixty countries, and um, our our leading product right now because we've made the platform free for companies. So any companies that are hiring right now, the talent is phenomenal. They can go onto Bodo, no charge, and we're working with councils to give them these talent heat maps as to what is the talent of their region, so they can attract employers wherever the employers are. To their region and know where to locate digi hubs for regional working oh, that's an interesting so a talent heat map gives you an idea of where people looking for work are located is it people looking for work the skills that they have so currently counties will have used census data but we've all completed the census and you know how minimal the data yeah. is um and you know ida and ei are always encouraging um employers into regions so this data will be live uh, people will re um, register anonymously and we'll be able to provide not just these are the skills but what's the demand for homeworking co-working in regions what's the average broadband connectivity for people and most importantly what do they want to earn for where they want to live because what you find is people tend to be a little bit more flexible if they get to choose a location that's outside of the city mm. so all that data is going to help hopefully reverse migration and and get more regional employment happening Great. Okay. Well, listen, thanks for joining us today, uh, Vanessa. That was Vanessa Tierney, the 
co-founder and chief executive of Abodu. And you'll notice, by the way, I got the, the pronunciation of that word, right, Abodu. I had said Abadu before, thinking of the Flintstones. Um, I hope I'm in the minority in, in getting the pronunciation of that wrong. I hope most people do say Abodu, but I know now. Thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Thanks so much, Adrian. Take care. And now we're joined by Lorna Martin, Senior Vice President and Head of Technology at Fidelity Investments Ireland. Fidelity Investments is a sponsor of this podcast at the moment, just so you know. Lorna, you're welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Delighted to join you. Brilliant. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about remote working. This is kind of a theme that we've got going on in this podcast. Fidelity is hiring, trying to hire about 100 people at the moment mostly in the engineering and the tech space. But you're doing it at a time when arguably most, if not all, of the people you might be talking to for these roles are at home. How is that going to work? Or is that a bit of a challenge? Well, it's, it's interesting. As you say, Adrian, we're hiring when people are not hiring. So that's probably a bit of a history for us at Fidelity. We like to do things a little bit differently. And, you know, interestingly, you know, we look at, I suppose the opportunity that's going on at the moment is everyone is at home, everyone's focused at work and they're not really distracted by a lot of other things. And, you know, the focus on working from home and remote working is something that we've been focused on for a number of years. We offer a lot of flexible opportunities in terms of how our workforce work. So some work full time in the office. We have a number of people who work full time from home and we have a lot of people in the blended position. So really, I suppose it's been an opportunity to get to maybe a broader talent base than normally you would when everyone is in there fighting it out. We had we had plans to hire and grow anyway this year. So we really just took the opportunity to to to, to act on that a little bit earlier. And yes, it does come with some challenges in terms of, you know, we're very accustomed to having the face-to-face, although even in our current process, you have a lot of remote remote elements of the hiring process in terms of meeting people we hire from you know not just in Ireland we our workforce reflects about 34 or 35 different nationalities so quite often our initial conversation with someone maybe in another country in Europe so what we've really done is kind of taken that opportunity to go and say okay what other processes and practices do we need to change to make this successful and and to be honest Adrian we're having amazing success you know we've really Got untapped a lot of phenomenal talent um, and you know we're actually moving very quickly towards hiring about 50% of those 100 roles that we only announced a couple of weeks ago um, so I think it's really the combination of timing having the right processes in place you know having having a staffing team who are open to it and also kind of getting your your, your hiring managers in a row in terms of you know really being focused on you know understanding that what the talent base is and really just investing the time and energy in it. And, you know, we've been, we've been onboarding new hires, people we hired face-to-face prior to the pandemic and right through from March. So every week we've had new people coming on board. So we've learned a lot from that experience, which you've now bring, bring to bear in terms of hiring for, for new hires over the next couple of months. And I've been asking pretty much everyone else, so I'll ask you the same question. Do you think that, any or many of these new hires might stay remote because there's a lot of talk uh, among the big yeah. tech companies in particular about uh, a medium term future where workers are going to, a lot of workers are going to be remote by default what what's your feeling about that i think you know there's there's been a lot of discussion about it um, i think from our perspective we already have people who are who are remote so I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to accommodate more of that. I think what we're really focused on is not just, you know, we're all, we've all been thrown into this huge, big worldwide experiment, right? And, you know, as I mentioned, people don't really have any of the other distractions beyond working at the moment. So there's a lot to be learned, but I think there's a lot to be considered in terms of will it work long term for everyone? And I don't believe that that's ever going to be the case. So I think what we're seeing, you know, I've been talking to the likes of Gartner and they had a study with their with CIOs at the end of March, just as the pandemic started to kind of gain, gain momentum in terms of work from home. And they expect about 75% of companies to offer more working from home. So I think what we will see is all companies offering more blended opportunities to work from home, but it's not as simple as, picking up your laptop 
and and heading off to your preferred your preferred working working location. You know, the whole COVID nineteen has cap, catapulted us into a situation where employees don't have choice. But in normal circumstances, employees have an awful lot of choice. They select the employer as much as the employers expect, except uh, you know the employees. So I think it's really about if you're going to think about doing it more broadly over a longer term, which is something we we are doing, you have to be very considerate of many elements, not just saying we're going to do it. And now you're taking on people uh, up to a hundred. Uh, people, engineers uh, in tech as well, some cybersecurity roles, I, I think, as well. Yeah, um, cloud engineering, full-stack engineering, the whole gambit. I mean, we have we have 750 people at the moment um, employed between our, you know, who would normally have been based between our Galway and Dublin offices and combinations thereof. But, yeah, so essentially we're hiring a lot more of similar type of talent profiles that we already have on board, and that gives a great opportunity to, you know, I suppose, acknowledge in terms of what it takes to bring someone up to speed. So it's one thing hiring someone and understanding the, 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 the skills that they have. It's another thing thinking about, well, how do you develop that person? and How do you retain that person into the long term? So that's why and I mentioned it's not as simple as just saying you can do it. You have to think about how, would you, how do you develop your entire workforce, not just those who are present in the office at any given point in time. And again, this time has given us a great opportunity to, to experiment. I mean, uh, you know, every single training company has had to go remote, right? So where we would have maybe had a lot of stuff that we would have done in classroom, we're now doing it with maybe the same training vendors that we've always had in a, rela- a relationship with, but we're doing it in a virtual manner. Now, I think there'll, be, there'll always be a desire to go back and when we can, with, with, with you know, public health and so forth, have that blended experience. You know, nobody wants to do their whole learning experience solo on front of a, on front of a, a laptop. Mm. Yeah, I was talking to um, a senior telecoms guy the other day, and he the thing he misses most is actually having a physical whiteboard in a room with maybe eight or nine people when they're trying to hash out an idea. And it's that sense. It, the, some of it comes from physical presence. You can do some of it on Zoom, like we're talking now, or Teams, or Skype, or Google Meet, or, or anything else. From your point of view, um, you talk about developing a staff, and there's a culture element in that as well. And traditionally, most of that element was arguably done physically, you know, in physical presence. Is that going to be a challenge? Well, again, as we've been on this journey for a while, you know, we would have a lot of situations where so most of our teams run. They, they, they work in an agile manner um, but quite frequently you know some are maybe not all but certainly at the moment all but uh, you know even you know even historically some of those team members might not be physically in the room and I kind of get the frustration I mean in terms of being able to grab the white marker and kind of write on the board when someone is you know but there are a lot of tools out there that do that and we, we already use them I think it's it's a case of you know trying to understand what's possible and at the moment we're very constrained in terms of what's possible so we're probably more reliant on the tools than ever and it's I think companies that are having success it speaks to maybe their patterns of past investment have they invested in you know in those collaboration technologies have they invested in good voice and video um, you know and that's probably helping us through you know through the current the current crisis but going into the future you know you have to think about that blended experience so we're, we're part of a big global team. So we often work with, you know, we might have a number of teams in Ireland, teams in India, teams in the US, teams in China. So we've already had to deal with that with that challenge, you know, when you do maybe major planning sessions. Um, so there's good routines and practices in place. But what I will say is, you know, for some people, their, their preference and their style you know, will drive them to want to be in that room. For others, they can they can they can work either way. And I think it's a, it's a case of you know the, the employees making their decision. And I think you have to really blend a lot of optionality into your options. If you just go and say to someone, "You are now mandated to work from home forever," that will not work. They will walk. And I mean, you know, we're we, we would all do that. I mean, you have to feel that you have your your part of the decision. But it's really, really important, you know, to get that investment right. And I think there's a lot of companies that, you know, have done that and there's probably a lot that are in catch up. And we're very lucky in the tech industry, you know, I think, you know, we've by and large 
we're, we're all working. We're really fortunate in the current scenario. Um, but I think, you know, equally in other, in other industries, we're going to see a lot of movement in terms of blended work arrangements where, you know, we've challenged a lot of the assumptions of the past because we've been forced to do it during this period. And, you know, some of those things will go out the door, um, you know, and some things will persist. But I mean, if I think about what's even more important than, you know, the physical whiteboard, it's, you know, people are, are accustomed to having those kind of, you know, collisions that happen in a corridor, right? So in many ways, working from home has, you know, really, I suppose, democratized the situation. So no one is in the know before anyone else because you have, can't have that sidebar conversation. So there's a benefit in that way. But then you also have to think about, you know, how do you, how does your culture support, you know, good collaboration and good innovation? And they're, you know, they're, they're more difficult to solve and it very much depends on the personality. So that's why back to hiring, you know, it's really important to think about the profile of the kind of engineers you want to hire. And it's also very important for engineers to think about what kind of company they want to work for and what are those, what's that company ethos? What's the culture? What, how do they support you in terms of, in terms of your career? And indeed, you know, there's a lot of discussion about workforce of the future. You know, what are, I would encourage people to kind of ask, ask the question, what are your plans? Um, and that would probably, you know, differentiate a company that you want to work from to from a company who really hasn't thought about it. Mm. Before we uh, wrap up, uh, there's a lot of impressive tech out there. I remember the last time I was out in Microsoft's headquarters in Sandyford, Leopardstown there, they had just gotten a whole load of kit right over from Redmond in Washington. And they have these giant you know, display interactive boards with cameras. And some of the tech is genuinely um, impressive. It costs a lot of money, especially if you want to roll out, uh, roll a lot of it out. Is there anything that you have found to be fairly impressive or useful? I mean, we're, we're talking on Zoom at the moment, which is great. Everybody has access to that. Is there anything that you have found interesting or impressive from, or from a tech perspective? Probably nothing new, but we're, we're always experimenting and looking. And I suppose, you know, I work for a company that we don't go out and endorse. Um, so I'm going to be really careful here. I think, you know, I think our, <laughs> well, you know, we, we, we all know kind of the big players in terms of, in terms of, you know, you've mentioned Zoom, you know, mm. obviously there are, there are other, there are other messaging platforms. We well, already what, have what, what was interesting to me, sorry to interrupt, what was interesting to me was I had to do a conference call the other day with somebody on Webex. And that's the first time during this lockdown that somebody, uh, that, that a group call that I've been on has used Webex because Zoom has kind of come out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Teams is a big thing, Microsoft yeah. Teams. Google is doing its very best now to come right back in there with, uh, uh, with Meet. There, there was some, some Hangout stuff going on. Webex, I think, is maybe more of a high-end uh, uh, corporate thing. But it's just interesting to see where, where I, I, I always try and get a take, take a quick gauge yeah, temperature yeah, as to what yeah. people are thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think the likes of Webex has been there for years, right? You know, um, there's, there's a lot of players in the Irish market, you know, who have traditional, that Zoom has kind of taken some of their market share. You know, I, I think that there will be a lot more players coming into the market. And, you know, do you? that bonus. Yeah, I, I do, because I think if you look at if, if you if you look at the marketplace in terms of work from home and you think particularly, you know, particularly about the productivity side of it and the collaboration and innovation side of it, you know, Quite often, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of a lot of research going on in augmented reality. There's, you know, I I, I see solutions in that space, you know, mm. that maybe are a little bit more sophisticated, or you know, that even there may be distractions just in terms of instead of looking at, you know, twenty faces in the room or twenty faces on a Zoom call, and they all have, you know, at the moment everyone's putting a background up behind them, right? So, so well, you know, when you say AR and you say about new solutions, I immediately think of Princess Leia in Star Wars uh, saying, "Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my own." Like I know Apple, uh, quite a lot of leaks uh, suggesting that Apple, not this year but next year, will come out with a pair of augmented reality glasses. Uh, maybe to go with uh, customized QR codes. They have already shown off many times, including here in Dublin. Um, and a name dropped Tim Cook the last time he was in Dublin. I met him and he was showing off yeah. his uh, 
his iPad AR stuff. Is you think there's whether it's Apple or some other company, you think there's some potential down that route, possibly? I think so, and I think even for stuff like training, right? So at the moment, a lot of you know, a lot of a lot of learning and development is very flash slide where coming up it's you know it's it's quite driven by quizzes and all of that kind of stuff mm. i think that's a that's a really safe spot for someone to go in and really make a, a major change um you know to come and say look let, let's create this very interactive immersive experience and you know i think a lot of the technologies are there now i mean our our own our own fidelity labs is constantly looking at you know what technologies are coming down the line you know five years down the road um you know so i think there's 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 some great opportunities to kind of think beyond what we have today and you know i think somebody comes up with a really great solution in that space it's a it's a good starting point you know there are lots of stuff out there as i say that kind of deal you know you can pick your pick many players in the in the voice and video side, you can pick many players in terms of the the, the the virtual whiteboarding and design kind of skills. It's really down to probably your scale and how much you're willing to invest. Uh, as to what you know, I think if you have money to invest, lots of solutions come your way. It's down to picking the right solution for you know for for for, for your workforce. And also, I suppose a big a big element of we you know of working from home is you know. Are they really good, solid, engineered solutions? Or are you creating potentially another cybersecurity risk that you have to manage? That you have to manage and monitor. Um, so I think you know companies like ours would be very, very you know we vet very, very closely in terms of what kind of tooling we bring into we we bring inside uh, inside our office spaces and and also into our virtual office space. Okay, we're going to wrap up there. Lorna, thank you very much for joining the podcast. It's Lorna Martin, Senior Vice President and Head of Technology at Fidelity Investments Ireland. And Fidelity Investments Ireland is a sponsor of this podcast. So that's all we have time for this week, folks. But for me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish Sunday Independent, the hair is getting longer, but I'll be back same time next week. Bye-bye. Times are uncertain, but your job doesn't have to be. Fidelity Investments is hiring for tech roles in Ireland. Apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie.